we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, the global phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS. April 1974, the snow is melting. Monsieur Allard, a custodian who works at a retirement home named the Foyer Drapeau in Saint-Thérèse, Quebec, is making his rounds. He goes out back of the retirement home, is shocked by what he sees, returns inside, calls the police and states il y a des jambes dans la neige this is who killed Teresa I'm your host John Allure and we're back we're back in the 70s and I'll tell you why Um, I, I was provoked to go back by something that that happened this week. Uh, b- before I get into that, let me preface it by saying, up to this point, we've um, we've been talking pretty much about fairly low risk women, right? Uh, not not a particularly marginalized. Um, slice of the Quebec community. We we have students, uh, young professionals, um, uh, children. So a, vul- a vulnerable uh, population. Nurses, uh, st- people studying to be nurses, etc. Uh, cashiers, uh, hostesses, all employed. You know, in in. Um, in, or, or on their way to employment in, in Quebec in the in the seventies, and um, I've kind of I've, I've kind of avoided the marginalized side of that because I just thought it was too. I mean, I'm I'm aware of of many cases of prostitutes, etc., who were murdered in Quebec, but it just seemed like a Herculean effort to take that on. But um, I was I was speaking this week with um, uh, Natalie Bergeron. Now, I, I think we've touched on Natalie's sister's case just a little bit. Natalie is the sister of uh, of Marilyn Bergeron, who disappeared um, from Quebec City in two thousand and eight, and has not been seen since. I would say, like in the in the modern era, next to Cedrica Provencher, the Bergeron case is probably the the most notorious case. Um, 
and uh, th- this week, Natalie and I started to communicate, um, I guess because uh, I-, I had seen uh, the documentary on her sister made by Claude Poirier on Poirier Enquête, and uh, it's, you can find it on YouTube, and it, it really struck me. And so I just contacted her, uh, found her on Facebook and sent her a message. Uh, and, uh, you know, the other thing that was common is that uh, Natalie uh, is an expat like myself. Um, she's from Quebec. She, she's um, French-Canadian, but she actually she lives in uh, she, she, she lives in California. So as I say, I reached out to her and um, about about a week later, she got back to me and she said, you know, I actually wrote to you, John. I, I've been following your website and I wrote to you a couple of years ago. And I was like, I don't remember that. And I, I went back and I looked and sure enough, she she did. Um, um, and I, I think I just sort of said, well, you know, thanks for your interest or something. I didn't make the connection that she was the sister of of Marilyn Bergeron at that time. Anyway. Um, we, we've been communicating and we had a phone conversation, um, because we have a lot in, in common, uh, you know, with, with our sisters and living, you know, in the United States, but being, having a, a focal point in, in Quebec and that, um, and, um, she's also, she's also really, really good at this stuff at, um, you know, analyzing, uh, crime and you know she she knows the social elements of crime in Quebec from that period um so she's a she's a good foil um to bounce ideas off an excellent foil actually and one of the things we were talking about was this the the idea of of marginalized um uh, women and and how you know, we were saying, uh, you know, why is it the police has never really taken an interest in these things? And, uh, you know, part of what I, I said was, well, because they don't value the asset, right? The And, and, and in this case, uh, when we're talking of these crimes, from my point of view, the asset is the, the, the victim, the woman victim. And they don't or didn't value that. Um. So consequently, they're not very good at solving those crimes. Uh, what the Quebec police are really, really good at, and when you consider it, is um, all the macho crimes. I mean, they're really good, you know, you know, anything to do with organized crime or gangs, you know, they're good at that. They're good at infiltrating the gang. They're good at turning a witness. You know, they're good at wiretapping. Uh, they're good at uh, polygraph and interrogation. I mean, these are things that they're really good at um, because I think, you know, there's the asset is drugs or uh, large quantities of of money. So that's where their focus tends to go. And uh, and Natalie commented, yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the, the fundamental problem in Quebec is – they need to reach a point where they stop seeing, for instance, prostitutes as criminals and seeing them as victims. To which, at that point, you know, as I often seldom do, I, I this week I went to the Sarté de Québec's website and there was a new case there. Um, and like we've said before, um, you know, even the cases that they followed uh, up to this point, I mean, to their credit, they're adding more and more. 
um, but uh, they kind of parallel my interests, right? They're, they're a lot of low-risk, highly sympathetic victims who are on there. There's some exceptions. But um, the one that blew me away that was added this year uh, or uh, this week um, was a case of an 18-year-old uh, woman named Carol uh, Dupont. And uh, Dupont was a topless dancer in uh, Saint-Thérèse, Quebec, um, died at the age of 18, uh, murdered, brutally murdered. Um, and, um, you know, she ran with a rough crowd, right? Her, her, her mom said, to, you know, she, her, she, you know, led a life of drugs. She never had any money. So consequently, you know, she was driven to this uh, this life in, you know, sort of seedy bars, hanging out with um, ne'er-do-well uh, young men. And this is kind of a, an area where we we haven't gone before, but neither has the Sarté de Québec gone before. So I was a little surprised in light of everything I've said up to this point, the first, you know, 10 minutes, to see the case of uh, Carol Dupont on their uh, on their website, and I, it's a case you know I've known very very well. I um, I have um, for all intents and purposes a case file on Carol Dupont. I just I've never discussed it because uh, one, as I say, it's this whole other subset of cases, and two, I I don't think it's um, directly tied to the other cases from the 70s I've talked about. Um, so I, I've, I've just never featured it. Um, but a little background on why I have so much information on it. So, you know, recall that um, the, the uh, tabloid journal Allo Police allowed me a, a number of years ago to uh, access to their archives. You know, and that was a, you know, that was a crazy time. Um, you know, I think I had like, 48 hours or something like two eight hour days um but you know just reviewing stacks and stacks of information in these large binders of the newspaper and you know i had like an ipad and i'm pointing and clicking furiously and when i see a case that interests me i say do you have a a file on this one and they go to the back room and they bring out the file you know i i point i'm shooting i'm photographing furiously i'm not really digesting the the information at this point because i know i'm um, i don't have the time to do the research in the room i'm just recording the information and then you know i i've said before i took 800 photos in those sessions so and i remember when they brought out um kettle uh, dupont because it's it's one you know some of these uh files i'd say they're uh sobering you know the photo of uh, of Denise Bazinet strangled on a you know a hospital gurney is sobering. Um, the photos of Carol Dupont are absolutely grotesque. Uh, it's one of the most graphic files I've seen in the of the cases I've seen in the the Ar Hello Police archive. And of course, at the time, I'm not digesting it right. I'm just click click. Click, click, you know. It's not till I got home um, and looking at it uh, that I kind of go, you know, whoa, daddy. I mean, this is, this is, uh, 
This is pretty brutal. Um, so th- this is, I'm going to do a, like a little mini series of some cases that in, for the most part predate or overlap and parallel, but don't necessarily uh, directly relate to the other 70 cases uh, we've talked about. Um, so, uh, and, and bear with me by the, uh, I'm spitballing it here to a certain amount, but, but stay with me at the, by the end, um, I think I'll be able to stitch this up, uh, and to make, um, a point that I think, um, matters, um, in these, uh, in these investigations. What did Monsieur Allard see in the snow uh, that uh, Saturday, April 13th, 1974? Um, he saw two legs sticking out of the snow. Snow was melting. It was, mi- it was mild. Uh, so we were beginning the spring thaw. Now, April 13th is um, a, a date... Uh, uh, um, Tattooed on on my psyche, that's that's the day that my sister's body was found five years later in 1979, and um, you know it's it's interesting what what uh, the discovery of um, Carol uh, foretells the words of uh, the chief investigator in Teresa's case, Rock Goudreau, when he Teresa was missing and uh, he casually. Uh, commented to my father you know um you know there's nothing to be done but you know wait for the snow to melt and then we'll find her we'll find her body and uh uh, cruel words uh for a professional police officer to say to father of a missing daughter um but nevertheless that is exactly what happened in the case of uh carol uh, dupont um so yeah, she's found uh, uh, April thirteenth, and uh, so the the police will, uh, arrive. But in, despite it, the snow is melting. They kind of have to chip her out of the ice uh, and and snow. They you know they bring um, shovels and uh, like an axe, and they're they're chopping her actually out of it. And slowly, you know, as they're as they're doing this, more and more is is revealed. They discover. Um, her clothing and her like her go-go boots in a in a pile next to the body they uh, as you're going up the legs uh what is striking is that she has been cut um diagonally along the thighs um almost i would say two foot long incisions on either thigh is 
the snow is revealing more and more. You get to the the torso and she's uh, you see that she's been stabbed. There are puncture room wounds uh, and laceration marks all along the stomach. Um, she's got two wounds in her back from a knife and she's got punctures all around her her chest and um, and her um, her uh, left breast. You know, there's signs of mutilation. It has been it has been sliced in into with a knife. Uh, more and more, they they find the knife. the 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 knife is there in the snow uh, alongside the the victim. And um, the the scene, as I say, is just brutal and and graphic. And uh, you know, I may I may I may not post the photos online. I always struggle with this. It, I think at the least uh, I will post what was published in Allo Police, Allo Police, um, because I can justify that by saying, well, that's that's something everyone saw at one time. It's just been lost and forgotten. And um, as I say, I struggle with this. Um, you know, of course, I, I, I there's only one photo uh, from the crime scene of my sister of my sister's uh, body that I'm aware of. Um, and it's at a distance, and you can see her face down in her underwear in this um, in this body of water. It's very striking. It's very disturbing. I think that's the point. Um, I can't think of uh, a, a stronger representation of you know everything that I, I try to articulate than that picture. So I don't mind posting it. You know, I don't think it's exploiting Teresa or anything like that. But that's me. Um, and that's my choice. Uh, I get I get a little um, um, inquiet uh, by, um, you know, making that decision for other victims. So I'm still struggling with it. But again, I I think the 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 photos of Carol Dupont are so striking and make such a powerful point that would like to show them. Incidentally, um, the other day, um, you know, I was looking at these photos on my um, on my desktop, and um, my daughter walked by my desk into the kitchen, and she very clearly saw them. Uh, this is my youngest daughter. She didn't say anything, but I was like, "Oh, crap." That was not good. <laughs> that was not good. But nevertheless, um, it happened. So who was Carol Dupont? Well, as I say, uh, you know, she's a 18-year-old woman with not a lot of options. You know, as we said, uh, mother said she's always struggling for, mother, for money. And uh, so the night she disappeared... Um, uh, she was, you know, drinking with friends and associates. Uh, she was, um, let's see, she was last seen December 22nd, 1973. She was with her friend, Francine de Coste, who was 20 years old at uh, the Hotel Blainville in St. Therese. Recall that St. Therese is just off the island of Montreal uh, or off the Laval, actually, I I, as I say before, I considered the big picture of Montreal, Montreal kind of being the two islands of 
Montreal proper and Laval, and then you leave Laval, and then you're you're into the the northern regions of Saint Therese, Rosemere, etc. If you've heard the name Saint Therese before, uh, that's where um, uh, the Desjardins girl would, disappeared on her bike and was found. Uh, Blainville is a, another area where another victim was found, where um, also where uh, Chantal Tremblay uh, lived around that area. So they're at the they're at the hotel Blainville. They they next go to a, another hotel called the Mount Royal. They eventually end up at the piano bar called uh, Zodiac, um, and they're with um, one presumes that Keral, you know, danced in, you know at least one or several of these uh, locations as a topless dancer. Um, and I think there was a distinction uh, back in that time between a topless dancer and a stripper. Um, but that whole culture in Quebec is, uh, is, is interesting. Uh, hold that thought for a minute. We'll get to it. So um, she's seen in the company of these, you know, kind of rough guys, you know, drinking heavily and then, you know, she disappears. That's it. The last time we see her is just before Christmas, 1973. She shows up almost four months later, um, you know, not far from where she she disappeared. Uh, interestingly, the coroner suspected uh, that she had been dead for less than three weeks, which leads to the possibility of of missing time. So if she died in mid-March, where was she? What was she doing uh, from December 24th uh, through mid-March? As I say, uh, so Carol's uh, case is now on the Sorte de Quebec's website. Um, what does that mean? Well, I I can only guess it means what uh, Mark Lapin, uh, the head of the Sorte de Quebec's cold case site or uh, uh, squad, um, said to me, you know, um, earlier this year, which was, "We're going to get all the cases up. We, our, our goal is to get them all up," and they seem to be moving at um, an aggressive pace towards that end. Uh, incidentally, uh, about Marc Lapin, he uh, contacted me late last week and informed me that he is has, has been reassigned. Uh, he is no longer in charge of the Certe de Quebec's uh, cold case uh, squad. He's been there since its inception, I've had a 16-year relationship with Mark, um, despite our um, struggles and challenges. Uh, I, I've respected him very much. I don't know who's going to replace him. Um, some has have suggested that this is, you know, the marks of a failure and a, and a demotion. You know, in the plus 10 years of its existence, they've only resolved three cases. So maybe it's that. Um, a reporter with CBC uh, Radio Montreal commented to me that, um, you know, probably the the head of the cold case bureau is the least 
wanted occupation in the Sartre de Quebec, possibly. But um, so where we go from here with uh, with things I don't know. I think I'm back to my I would say my original investigator, which uh, which is Sylvain, uh, and. Uh, <clears throat> we did, we've had a, um, I would say, a bristly relationship so far. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to turn out, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. I will, um, you know, um, despite the the gruesome photos, this is probably my my largest file of photos, and I, I think we're accompanying this podcast on the website teresalore.com i'm going to post a lot of the photos from this case there because they're really a great kind of like a photo essay of um of the time and and you know criminal discovery at the crime scene uh you know just you know a lot of shots of the cops working and things like this that i um we don't we don't get a chance to see um a lot of of that side of that world. So um, I think uh, for those people who who like that kind of thing, you're you're really gonna you know in, enjoy looking at that aspect of um, Quebec society in the seventies. Now, interestingly, Cattle Dupont had like a cousin who was also um, a topless dancer who was also murdered. Uh, her name was uh, Carol Matt. Um, and uh, Carol uh, Matt was uh, was assassinated. She was shot um, the 24th of January, 1972. So approximately two years uh, earlier. And um, a guy named um, Adelard Valet, um was was arrested, tried, and convicted of a murder. And what what happened is, um, so she was uh, she was at her home. She she lived uh, at um, <laughs> totally bullshitting here. <laughs> I lost my place. I'm sorry. Um, anyways, <laughs> valet was on conditional parole. Um, and he goes to her house, which is in um, like the east end of Montreal, and he asks her out on a date. Um, and he takes her in her car to like an alley around uh, Frontenac, Rue Frontenac and uh, Marianne Street. And he's alone and, and, and they get out of the car and in front of the car, he he shoots her four times in the head with a thirty eight, And um, he uh, he dumps uh, the 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 body over by Riviere de Prairies, which is on the island of Montreal, near the water, way east uh, end of, of Montreal. Um, uh, it, curiously, where where, uh, where Matt lived is uh, very close to where uh, Denis Besnier lived. Um, now, uh, this this guy, uh, Adelard Vallée, Eventually was paroled, uh, and in um, in 1986 uh, he was out, um, and he shot and murdered a cop in Montreal. And uh, it was at that point that uh, they put uh, Valet away for good. 
um, if you want more information on the the Cadol math story, Christian Gravner uh, has an extensive um, digestion of it on uh, his site, Cool Coolopolis. Again, um, you know, as I said, uh, uh, Carol Matt's sister Anne vehemently denied that she was, you know, working, uh, you know, in this subculture as a, to- a topless uh, dancer, went to great lengths to emphasize that she trained in stenography and secretarial skills, etc., etc. Um uh, and nevertheless, so we, we have basically two topless dancers, two strippers uh, related to each other within two years. Uh, both, you know, end up dead. One stabbed to death repeatedly, one shot four times in the head. Um, so I want to get back to this whole element of, of uh, strip bar culture um, and why that's significant. You know, why it's significant is uh, if you could control the strip bars... Um, in the 70s, uh, you you you'd had a pretty good footing on organized crime um, at that time. When um, if you if you move to the 80s, the 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 mobster, the Frank Catrone uh, of the Catrone mob family, um, brother of Vic Catrone, who was really like the godfather of, of it all. Uh, predating the Rizzuto family. So uh, Frank, for a brief, you know, for, for, for like a, 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 a candle in the wind moment was, was in control in, of crime in, in Montreal. And, uh, but he wanted to get a foothold in Toronto. Everybody did. And uh, the way he did it was to secure the strip clubs along Young Street uh, they were really sloppily run. Um, in Montreal, the strip clubs were much, much more professional uh, than, than in Toronto. And uh, and so that's how he started. Because, he, he, you know, if you think of it, um, these strippers at this time, you, you know, they would be on junkets, right? They'd be in Toronto for a while, then they'd be up in Thunder Bay, then they'd, you know, they'd be over in Sudbury. And and the same thing is going on in Quebec, right? You're, you're doing a junket of, you know, you're downtown, and then you're moved to like St. Therese, Blainville, up to St. Jerome, over to Sorel, you know, over to Sherbrooke, back to Montreal. And so what's going on there? Well, it's the perfect way to move drugs and money, right? to drop off, to pick up, you know, you just, you, you just conduct that business, you know, under the umbrella of, um, we're a touring company of striptease artists, right? And, um, so I, I, I bring that up because I think that's something in, in, you know, let's not forget that these women were not independent workers, that they were controlled by a male boss who probably treated them quite brutally, and they they met brutal ends, uh, both of them. And that's something I just want, uh, you know, I want to emphasize, um, uh, but I'm going to leave it for now. Uh, but as we 
go through the course of this little series, uh, I, I think it will become more more relevant. Turning uh, briefly to some some other things, uh, I'm I'm almost finished uh, Michel McNamara's uh, book on the Golden State Killer. I'll be gone in the dark. Um, it's a it, it's a good book. I, I I don't think it's a great book. Uh, you know, I was compelled to read it because uh, you know a lot of comparisons to James Elroy's uh, My Dark Places, etc. Um, a lot of emphasis, obviously, placed on the fact that she died before she completed it. Uh, certainly sympathetic to that, but you know, you know, I, th- I think an overemphasis on the fact that it's written by a woman. You know, it's like a, finally a woman's voice in all this. Um, did people forget about uh, Anne Rule's um, The Stranger Beside Me, about Ted Bundy? You know, that predates it this by, what, 30 years, something like that? So I, I, I think that's um, that's a bridge too far. It's an overreach. But I think it's, I think it's really, really good. Um, it's been interesting for me to the reading about the things that are the parallels and the things that are, you know, different. I mean, certainly very striking in the prologue and the f- first uh, chapter, you know, about the the work environment, the element in which she was doing her research, you know, in uh, in in front of a computer, uh, you know, looking at Google Maps, uh, surrounded by her children's toys, etc. That's that's not different from from me, as I say. I, sit here right you know, you know almost on top of my kids uh you know i don't have toys around but um, let's see right in front of me is a is a, a painting by the quebec artist uh adrian hubert of uh rue uh, saint denis uh, saint denis street in montreal which is um, you know, it's a picture of Saint Denis with the church in it. If you're from Quebec, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, it, certainly, it's it it is the environment from which many of these women disappeared. To my left is a photo of uh, Quebec City. Not a photo. It's a it's a painting of uh, Quebec City with the plains of Abraham, etc. I you know on my desk, I to to my left, I have like a drawer of memories. Uh, let's see what's in here. So, there's uh, all of my sister's silver coins in the bag that my dad collected for her. There are her 45s, you know, 45 records. We have here Beatles Long and Winding Road, The Beach Boys, Little Honda, <laughs> Del Shannon, Runaway. That's good. What else is here? These are good. What is this? Vehicle uh, by the Ides of March. I'm your vehicle, baby. Um, oh, Backfield in Motion by Mel and Tim. Backfield in Motion, baby. You know that's against the rules. Uh, there's a bracelet of her, an arm bracelet of hers, actually. She wore, like, on her... Um, upper portion of her arm i think there's a photo of her at her uh high school prom wearing that old baseball cards of hers Boy, who do we got here maddie alou uh, uh 
Cisco Carlos, Jerry Kuzman. So, yeah, so uh, that's, um, you know, kind of neat. So, I, as I say, I, 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 I'm really, I am enjoying the book. I think it's, I think it's good, uh, very good. Uh, you know, what, what is striking, what always gets me is, uh, and this happens a lot, when a book is written in the United States, the amount of access they have to police, you know, they seem to have tons of access, not only to current investigators, but re- retired investigators. You know, this is true of uh, McNamara, who just seems to have un- unlimited license to, to talk and, and with these guys and, you know, to um, get their opinions and their, you know, uh, mine them for their knowledge. The same is true in the, in the Elroy book, you know, his complete access to Rampart Station. Uh, and Rule certainly had access to all, all, all kinds of police investigators. And, uh, it, you know, it, it frustrates me because I, I, I kind of, I, well, I, I really don't have that uh, at all. Uh, so much so that I, I was like, have I really tried hard enough? So, I actually, I actually wrote uh, uh, Le Pin this week, and I said, "Listen, I am." I said, "I know, uh, for instance, the two investigators who were my handlers, uh, Benoit Patinaud and um, and Michel Tanguay, are both retired now. Now, these guys, um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to ask any questions about Teresa's case. I mean, uh, but you know, they had a." A, a interesting experience. I mean, I think uh, Patinod was part of the Project Wolverine, uh, which had to do with uh, gangs and organized crime. Uh, Tange, who we talked about last week, worked was the was the lead investigator on the uh, Julie Surprenant, um case. So I just said to him, "Hey, could you put me in touch with them?" <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, because half of my mind is going, "Yeah, it's just like." you know, McNamara, Elroy. Uh, so why not, why not me? Um, and of course I'm immediately shut down. He's like, Oh no, 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 no. Uh, no police investigator can even in retirement can ever talk to anyone. It's part of the brotherhood. Um, you know, uh, we have holdbacks that we can never disclose or discuss. You, you have to understand. And, and I'm just like, really? I mean, not even if I go, if I'm circumspect and say, okay, we won't discuss Teresa Lore, but can we talk about, um, you, you know, the, what, what makes a Sartre de Quebec investigator tick, you know, what motivates them to act the way they do? What, what is police culture like in Quebec? Can we at least have that conversation? No, no, can't, can't have that that conversation and he said uh, he sort of said hey, in future if you want to put these questions forward um just just put them to sylvain and i'm like oh great you know the, the guy who only knows how to say no it's just like you can ask we may not answer the question but you can always ask it's like yeah i i can always ask <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's just so different. It's so, uh, it's so different. I mean, I've had some access to a couple of guys, um, 
but not not like a big gun investigator the way I I would really want to to you know to sit down and have a like a, a serious conversation uh, you know to to crime professionals uh, from you know different lenses of uh, that world having a serious discussion I mean I don't see that there's anything wrong with that. Something I find interesting is how my thinking has evolved um, over the years on these matters. You know, you begin with a, a simple inquiry into wh- why your family member died the way they did. And then th- that evolves into an investigation um, and into several patterns of other murders. As you begin to move outside of that circle of what may be related into, you know, other crimes as we moved into the 80s and 90s, it becomes an investigation um, into the police, right? So you start by investigating the victim, then you start to ask the question, what was the police doing? And then, you know, like the, the, the next phase is uh, other victims' responses to police's actions, right? That's almost, you know, the, the top of the mountain at that point. And, 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 how, and the parallels over time um, with all these cases, right? It, it, it begins with a, a violent event, um, the, you know, the family offers the reward. Uh, I, I think uh, Bergeron at this point is at $30,000. Uh, uh, you know, Marie Larivier was 20. Uh, Desjardins was 30. We have a boy missing in Montreal right now. I think the reward's up to $100,000. Right. And and then all the families slowly begin to question the police because nothing's happening. And then we have the period of protest, right? The protest marches, annual marches for Cabay, annual marches for uh, Cedrica, annual marches for Bergeron. So I find this very, very interesting, uh, the, the, the evolution of... Uh, victimology that is the podcast uh for this time uh somewhat uh, truncated abbreviated one uh that's uh actually frankly it's because i'm still waiting on some (laughs) some information um that i've been waiting for a while um from the um bibliothèque archives uh, national du Québec. Um, they are very nice there and very um, patient and attentive to my requests. It's just uh, we ran into a bit of a lull there over the Easter vacation, and um, it's just taking a little more time to uh, to access some some information. But um, everything we've said today predicates uh, what will come after. And I think you'll like it. So just uh, stay with me and, uh, well, we will continue uh, on this series. If you like the podcast, please give us a uh, five-star rating on iTunes. Helps promote and uh, uh, 
uh, you know, it's all good stuff that, you know, that I really, truly appreciate. Uh, you can follow us on uh, social media. I'm on Twitter at Justice Guy, at J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y. Or there's a Twitter uh, feed uh, specifically for this podcast, which is at Teresa Lore, at T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E. We have a Facebook page, which is called um, Who Killed Teresa, the podcast. Um, it's a place, I mean, all the social media platforms are places where you get additional goodies and get to see what, you know, secondary and tertiary things I'm thinking about. Um, so you can follow us on that. As I mentioned earlier on, there's the website, TeresaLore.com. There's a YouTube channel um, which can give you some visuals of these cases. If you just look, just search Teresa Lore on YouTube, you can find all kinds of news videos, uh, including the Poirier Enquête episode uh, specific to Teresa. Um, actually, there's a bunch of the Poirier Enquête episodes up there uh, now. As I mentioned, you can see the Merlin Bergerin case. I think. Uh, uh, Jalil Rendo is there. I think uh, Melanie Cabet is there. Uh, not all of them, but a, a lot of them. And uh, even if you don't, if you don't, like Claude speaks lightning fast in French, right? Um, but even if you don't speak the language, uh, just the visuals uh, give you a great flavor of, uh, uh, you, you know, the, the whole Quebec scene and what it feels like.
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.